All right, so for those of you uh, who've been with us the last few weeks, uh, last few months, we've been working through uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And that began uh, actually a couple months ago uh, when we talked some about the, we're through the, the Beatitudes, which is the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Most famous is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we started thinking about this too. I was thinking about how uh, God began, how Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount by stunning us with God's grace. And then after that, he intensified God's law. That's the part where Jesus says, you've heard it said, and he went on to talk about a law. And he says, but I say to you. And he actually made it even more uh, demanding, even more intense. And we began to realize that this grace that God was giving us is not cheap grace. It's not the sort of grace that says, you know, don't worry, you're forgiven. Just try and do the best you can. <laughs> you know, and go ahead and just keep sinning because you can always repent later. That's not the sort of grace that Jesus was talking about. Last week we talked some about then how do we practice, how do we achieve this righteousness that God is after. And started talking some about these practices of generosity, of prayer, and of fasting. And then talking to you about practicing uh, denying ourselves as a way to connect with God. Well, the next part, we're getting into the next part of Jesus' sermon where he starts talking about, uh, oh, sorry, this was last week, starts talking about priorities and talking about perfect priorities. It's like Jesus is anticipating the rebuttals as he's going through this sermon. Um, so he begins with, you know, if, um, you know, Jesus begins with amazing grace. Blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, actually. And then he says, it's almost as if people are saying, well, if you give too much grace, won't people just take it for granted? And that's where he starts talking about righteousness, where he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Oh, well, if we make things too intense, then um, if we make the laws so intense, how will we do it? And then Jesus starts giving us practices like practicing generosity, prayer, and fasting. And then, oh, so people say, okay, so if these are the practices, then what do we want to do? What makes us want to do these practices? What's the motivation? I've been thinking some about this week about how these passages, especially what I've been studying today, and we'll get into it just in a second here, how challenging these questions are for me about my priorities in life. This desire uh, for God and his kingdom, how it competes in my life for all sorts of other priorities. Priorities of taking time to love my family, which uh, if I do it right, I think that's actually fitting in with one of God's priorities, is to love my family well. Talking about, too, about responsibilities in my life, uh, things that I need to do even outside of prayer and devotion. Also, too, thinking about interests and hobbies, things that I love to do, uh, like hiking and hunting and stuff like that. The thing is, how do I keep um, a focus on practicing righteousness? How do I keep focusing on God? Is it just willpower or can I cultivate righteousness by actually practicing it? Which leads maybe to the real question is, how do we cultivate righteousness? As some of you, uh, maybe some of you, and I get a sense, some of you were just born kind of this heart desire to do good things, a desire to do what's right. Some of you have this righteousness just comes naturally to you, or maybe more naturally than the rest of us. Um, are the rest of us just out of luck? You know, we don't have that same desire for generosity or for devotion. Some of you actually are um, maybe naturally more generous. And I think about this, like uh, I've talked with you some about this difference between Tracy and I. You know, I, I have to work at being generous. I have to give it thought. And she, she's just generous. A couple of weeks ago, I told the story about the penny that she found, the necklace that she found for a friend. 
I didn't even th- I, wouldn't, I don't even think that way. And yet Tracy said, oh, this would be great for my friend. And she just bought it and did it and it was done. And I'm sure her friend enjoyed it. Um, but so how can we practice to work at this? But even those of, who aren't naturally um, righteous or even inclined toward it, is there hope for us? Can we practice righteousness now? Can we get better at it? This morning, I have great news for us. Jesus gives us good direction. His word is not just um, an ancient text that we hope we can find meaning in. It actually has application for our lives right now, even today. And I was going to think about it this week. That this actually this this way that Jesus is teaching right now. It's um, it's a very uh, um, ancient Near Eastern way of teaching. There's a central point. We're going to get to that in a moment. And Jesus is saying, giving a couple different sayings to make the point. They all reinforce the point. I've heard some uh, pastors talk about it as a jewel sermon. And so each time you turn it, you see a different facet. It's the same jewel. It's the same point. But each time you turn it, you get a little bit different light, a little bit different understanding of what, what he's saying or what he's teaching. All right. So let's dig into this. If you want to, uh, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 16. Sorry, 19. Verse 19. It's also in your sermon guides as well, if you want to look at it there. All right, let's work through this passage. So Jesus begins with this. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth. All right. (laughs) Challenging Jesus. Um, I started thinking about this some this week, and I want to say a couple things. One is that... um, Possessions, things in and of themselves, are not uh, necessarily the problem. Uh, This is powerful for us. Um, This is challenging for us. And I'm wondering, too, if many of you are thinking, you know, Jesus, this sounds really good on a bumper sticker, but how practical is it? I was thinking some about this, and actually as I was studying it, uh, what helps me is that in the NIV, actually, it just says, do not store up your treasure. And when he says treasure, I kind of think or equate that to like wealth. Um, do not store up your wealth on earth. Now, there's some good advice in that. But also, we know too that if you don't store anything up, then you have trouble. <laughs> Life can be really difficult, and then you begin relying on others. And what helped me with here was actually is in um, um, Greek, it's actually store up uh, yourselves treasures. This idea, so it's not just wealth, but actually multiple treasures, different types of treasures, or maybe even stuff or possessions. Don't, don't store up for yourself stuff on earth. And this helps me uh, to hold it in balance. And I was holding it in balance with a couple different passages. One of them is Proverbs 6.6. 6. Let me read it to you. It says, uh, it says, go to the ant, you sluggard or you lazy person. Consider, it ways, consider its ways to and be wise. It has no commander. No overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. So the proverb here is saying, look at the ant, how they store up. Not that they hoard or that they take more than they need, but they store up for times when, when things are difficult. I was thinking about this too. This is, comes from 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, verse 8, when Paul's speaking to Timothy. And he says, uh, he's talking about widows here and about caring for widows. And so it's in that context. He says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, namely uh, a widow, um, maybe it's your mother or a sister or something, and especially if for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So there's this, this, these 
equal commands in Scripture for us to take care of our families, to provide, to even have some extra to share with others. Okay, so then Jesus adds this. So he says, just wanted to say this when he says, do not store for your treasures on earth. Because if we take that in of itself, we can maybe go off track. But then Jesus adds these other points to it. He says, uh, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, as reading this, and as I'm reading this, he's not so much saying that we can't have material possessions, um, having a home or a car or having clothes. Those things aren't inherently wrong. So all of us here this morning probably drove a car. I think we all, almost all of us drove a car here. We're all sitting here wearing clothes. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But he's talking here about counting up uh, or continuing to gather up more than we need. That's the dangerous part. Continuing to gather up and gather and gather, to never be satisfied, to always be wanting more, to be looking for more and more things to buy the next new thing, that's the trouble. Is when we focus our lives on gathering more. So rather, he says here, Jesus says, don't store these things up here on earth because they won't last. Here, the treasures, I think, are like things like money and stuff, wealth and assets. He's saying, if you store it up here, just realize that it's not going to last. If you buy really fancy new cars, eventually they rust. Eventually they stop running. If you buy fancy new houses, eventually you're going to have to replace the siding and the roof and the flooring. Things wear out here. So, we do need a room, like a roof. We need a house to live in. That's true. But just be mindful, though, that we don't need bigger and bigger and bigger, more and more and more. That's the point that Jesus is making here. So it's not so much that we don't have stuff, it's that we realize that we don't put our hope or our faith in our stuff here on earth because it is going to be destroyed. It begins to wear out. Moths literally eat some of it. Rust literally destroys some of it. Sometimes even people steal it. Then Jesus says this, he says, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Now he gives us where we should store up treasure. Now, here in heaven, I want to just expand this a little bit, because oftentimes when we hear heaven, we think store up things in the future. We often think of heaven as the place that we go when we die. Now there's truth in that, but also when I think when Matthew's talking about heaven, he's talking also about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, which exists even right now that's running parallel to the earth, to the things that we see. And so I think, too, the point I want to make here is that storing up things in heaven, storing up treasure in heaven, might have implications or will have implications one day when we die, but they also have implications now. That when we can store up treasure in heaven, it has implications now. That we see people whose lives are changed, that's a treasure in heaven. For example, if we sponsor a kid, and many of us do, that's a treasure in heaven that we see response or we see um, things, consequences of that happening even now. We don't have to wait for someday when we die. Though I think someday when we stand before Christ, he will look at those sort of things and say, well done. But there's also benefits that happen even now. He says this too. He says this, where um, do store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is almost this is a parallel to the first part. He says, don't store up things on earth. And he says, store up things in heaven. Because things will fall apart on earth 
and they will last forever in heaven. There's no, there's no moth, no rust, no thieves. The point is, is that, this is not the, the point is this, Jesus is not saying here that heaven is somehow free of moths, okay? That's not his point. His point is that the things we there, the things that we store up there, the treasures we store up there go on forever. That they matter. That they're not just fleeting events or fleeting things. The things, the treasures that we store up there continue to matter. Now, it's interesting to think about kingdom treasures and what these are. Because it's not money. And it's not stuff. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our stuff. He doesn't need our wealth. He doesn't need our assets. I think Jesus is talking about here about devotion, about connecting with him, and about blessing other people. It's sort of an ironic thing that one of the best ways to love God is to love other people. One of the best ways to show God how deeply we love him, how much, how devoted we are to him, one obvious way is to spend time in devotion, praying and praising God, gathering on Sundays to sing, to praise him. That's a very obvious way. But the other way, this doesn't always make as much sense. It seems a little bit counterintuitive, but one of the other ways to bless God, to show God's love, is to love others, especially people who are hard for us to love. Those are great ways to show God how deeply we love him. Faithfulness to Jesus oftentimes equals serving others, being generous, loving God by loving other people. And so these are some of the ways that we store up. And this is an interesting way that I was thinking about it this week is that, that one of the ways that we store up treasures in heaven is by sharing our treasures on earth. One of the easiest ways to store up treasures in heaven is to share our treasures on earth. The things that we gather, the things, the excess that we have, the extras that we share them. It's a great way to store up treasures in heaven. Then, Jesus hits us with this main point. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, this is counter to the argument, because I've heard Christians say something, come to the effect of, uh, I know I have a bunch of stuff, but it's fine because it doesn't really mean anything to me. (laughs) I know I have lots of really nice things, but it's okay because they're not my treasure. I, if I lose them or if they're whatever, you know, it's fine. I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure I believe you. You know, sometimes people are sincere, but I think a lot of times it's like a, just a self-delusion. It's a way of trying to have your cake and eat it too. It's a way of saying, I want to be following Jesus, or I want to be uh, a Christian, a good Christian, but I also want a lot of stuff. And Jesus, I think he forbids it here. This idea that we can... Um, gather more and more, bring in, hoard in more and more for ourselves and just try and delude ourselves and by saying it's not really important to us, I'd say our actions speak louder than our words. And so be mindful of that. But, and I was thinking about this because I was talking with a friend of mine this week about, um, about treasures here on earth. And I was thinking about uh, people in my family and we were talking about how um, you know, the more you own, the more hassle you have. And I was saying, I heard this somewhere, I don't remember where I heard it, but every, everything we own owns a little bit of us. Everything we own owns a little bit of us. And I was thinking about this, you know, a couple years ago, 
Um, uh, for my 40th birthday, I had a moment of uh, midlife crisis. Uh, we, yeah, bought a we bought a boat, or I bought a boat. I shouldn't say we. I bought a boat. <laughs> had a boat growing up when I was a kid, and it's a 1996 uh, Sea Ray, a lot like the one I had when I was a kid. Um, and I love that boat. <laughs> it's fun. We have a lot of great times as a family. But I started thinking about it this week, about how, though I technically I own it or we own it, it also owns a bit of me. So the upkeep for it, the money I have to spend each uh, year to get it winterized and get it ready for summer. I continually hear the words of my grandfather. He calls a boat uh, is a hole in the water that you dump money into. <laughs> um, and I was thinking about it when Tracy's family came and visited us a couple weeks ago. Um, it was already a full, busy week. And, um, but her, her brother said, hey, I'd love to go out on your guys' boat. Uh, it'd be fun to go out on the lake. And so I'm rushing around, taking the thing up like at night to Jones boys to have it get it ready for summer because I don't really know how to get it ready to do all that stuff. And then I have to go and get it before they come. And, got to, and while I'm there, I have to get the license for the trailer. It just it owns a bit of me. <laughs> you know, that's just one thing. You start thinking about all the stuff that we have and maintaining it and cleaning it and storing it and then getting more space to store it. And, I mean... <laughs> A house, just think about how that owns a lot of us, a big portion of us. Again, some wisdom from my grandfather saying, you know, if you want something for the, if you want something to do for the rest of your life, buy a house. (laughs) Man, I totally feel that. (sighs) Because if you ever see my grandfather, you can tell him that I actually listened to him. He'd be happy with that. But the more stuff we have, um, everything we own owns a bit of us. And we need to be mindful of that because we live in a society right now that just says own more, buy more, get more. You deserve more. More will make you happy. It goes completely different or contrary to what the kingdom of God teaches. Now, as I'm thinking some about what Jesus says, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I've been thinking some about this. This is the main point of what he's teaching right here. This is the main, this is the, this is the conclusion, the point, everything else leads up to this point. And he says, I'm wondering what he means here. Does he mean there your heart will be also in the sense that your, your heart will follow it? So where you store up treasure, that's where your heart tends to go? In a sense like what you practice doing, that will shape your heart. So if you practice storing up stuff on earth, your heart's going to follow your stuff that direction. Or if you practice storing up stuff in heaven, maybe if it's not what you, what you would like naturally would desire to do, but if you faithfully do it, your heart will follow that. Your heart will grow that direction. You'll grow more generous. Kind of almost like you know the chicken or the egg. Do you give because you feel generous? Or do you generously give so that someday you might feel generous? You see what I'm saying? How the practice changes our heart. And so I'm wondering if Jesus means this, that where you go, that's where your heart will be. And so if you store a bunch of stuff up here on earth, you're going to be pretty disappointed when you realize at the end of all of it that that's actually where your heart is. Or 
Does he mean that if you continue storing up, faithfully storing up things in heaven, that someday you will realize that actually this is where my heart is and I'm so excited? So does he mean that, that that's where your heart will be? Or, and this is actually in the Greek, it could kind of either be either way, but it also says, um, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And that is already there. In a sense that where you store up treasures, it reveals where your heart is really at. Where you store things up reveals the reality of your heart. Or if you collected a lot of treasures, then maybe it reveals, maybe there's a deficiency. If your pile of treasures on earth is big here, maybe it reveals something about your heart or about our hearts. Now I want to be careful here because it's really easy for us to judge other people. And we judge badly. We are notorious for judging people unfairly. And what I mean by that is this double standard, that wealth is often relative. What I mean by that is everybody in this room, compared to the rest of the world, everybody in this room is filthy, stinking rich. And I mean everybody. And some of you are thinking like, oh, no, not me. Oh, yes, every one of us are filthy rich compared to everyone else in the world. Compared to 90-something percent of the rest of the world, we are all filthy, stinking rich. All right? So wealth is relative. But the other thing, too, is um, you know, like we judge people. So, like some of us in this room, I've heard us say things like, "Oh, well, so and so, well, they've got you know such a huge house. What do they need that for?" And we think, "Yeah, that's relative," because there are people who live in huts in other parts of the world who look at any one of our houses and say, even a trailer, and say, "What do you need all that for?" So wealth is relative. The other thing that I was reading is that actually I was reading this in a in an article that we we tend to compare ourselves to people above us. We hardly ever compare ourselves to people below us, like terms of financial or, or I shouldn't say below us, that's not the right word, but people who have less than us. We always compare above us. And I was talking about, Tracy and I were talking about it, that even we do that. We look at it, people are our friends who have more than we do, and those are the ones that we're comparing to. And it's, it's totally, it sets us up for this, this feeling of, um, of resentment or... Um, frustration for what they have that we don't have, envy. We hardly ever compare with people who have less than us. So the thing is, maybe we're tempted to condemn people who look like they have more than us. We often assume that the line starts with us, that I'm okay, it's just everybody else who has more than me. They're the ones with the problem. And so I hear Jesus speaking to us today. That for where our heart is, that's where our treasure is. Often this passage is viewed as a teaching on generosity, and it does, it could function that way. Um, But actually I think this passage is about something different. Not so much about stuff as it is about our priorities, where our priorities are. Are our priorities here on earth or in heaven? Are my priorities here on my kingdom or God's kingdom? Essentially, that's the main point of this. Jesus' point here is asking us, where are our priorities? Then, Jesus moves on to this next part. Turn the jewel. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I read this this week, and honest to God, my first response was, what? (laughs) Now, it's hard because this was obviously self-evident to people of Jesus' day. I have no idea what he means by the eye is the lamp of the body. I don't know. Or how if our eyes are good, and I don't know if he means like you can see well, that your whole body is full of light. I, I don't, I'm not sure. <laughs> I was thinking about it this week that, um, I was thinking about this, reminds me of like those scenes in the movies where there's a skydive instructor and he's talking to him and giving you all the important information you need to know about how to skydive so that you don't fall to your death and die. And as he's talking or she's talking and she turns away and starts talking to someone else and you can't hear anything that they say, that's how I feel this is right now. This feels important, but I'm not sure I'm getting it, Jesus. And at one point I looked at my desk, I had eight books out. I had commentaries on Matthew. There's a similar, there's actually almost an exact same passage in Luke. I'm reading different books on wealth and I'm reading different books on this and I'm trying to get a handle on what he means. And this is the closest, this is what seemed to make the most sense to me. I say this just to let some of you know that sometimes scripture is complicated. There are some parts where it is hard for us to get at what Jesus is saying. But the thing I realized is that they all had a generally the same conclusion, all eight places, all eight books. They just had different sort of ways of getting there, different ways of understanding. So let's break this down. The first part here is the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, there's different thoughts, different theories, like the eye lets in light or the eye produces light. What I was thinking about this is the lamp, a lamp shows the way. So when you're walking in the darkness, the lamp shows you where to go, so to speak. Like uh, in uh, Psalms, the word is a lamp unto my feet. Lord, your word is a lamp. Like it shows me the way to go. And so I'm thinking, kind of using that or thinking that's sort of what Jesus is meaning here. And so for our purposes, let's say instead of lamp, let's say guide. The eye is the guide of the body. We see where we want to go and that's where our bodies go. So speaking metaphorically, not physiologically. So Jesus is not saying that your eyes are actually lamps that put light into your body, but really more like the way that we see where we're going to go and they guide us, guide our bodies as we walk. Okay, so that helps us to make some sense of this passage. So he says, if their eyes are guide to the body, if your eyes are good, if we have a good guide that's showing us the right direction, then the whole body will be full of light. And by full of light, I mean light was here is, is equal to good. Our whole bodies will be full of goodness. Our lives will be full of goodness. But if our eyes are bad, and here it's literally evil, if our eyes are evil, then our whole body will be full of darkness, uh, which again I think is synonymous with evil. All right? And he says, if then the light within you is darkness, so if your light, the part that's supposed to be good, is dark, then how great is that darkness? And I think Jesus' point here is that we all wrestle with this fight between good and evil, between light and darkness in our lives. And if the only light we have is actually darkness, man, it's really dark. It's really bad. And so Jesus is making this point about guiding, um, about if we have a good direction, if we're moving a good direction, if we're following him faithfully, the light in us is good. The direction we're heading is good and it's good for us. But if we don't, if we're not following Jesus, if we're following evil desires or our eyes are quote-unquote evil and we're moving in an evil direction, that is darkness in us. All right. So 
I'm just saying that given the context of what Jesus is talking about, priorities of, of God's kingdom in heaven versus our kingdom on earth, storing up treasures, and we're going to get to the next one here in a second about serving God or mammon. This text, I think, what he's saying here, the point he's making here is our good guide, that we follow a good guide. If we follow our good eyes, are looking in a good direction, we're following them, light will build in us or goodness in us. We're following in a bad direction, darkness. Okay, turn the gem one more time. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right, the point here is that you can't serve two masters. I was reading different commentaries about the ancient world, and sometimes there was a case where somebody would be, like a person would be owned by two different masters. The point that Jesus is making here is you can't have split priorities. You will serve one and not the other. And basically here it says, either he or she will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. That's just opposite ways. Those, those two lines say the same thing, that you will love one and hate the other. So it ends with this point. He says, you cannot serve God and money. So this is the final. Again, the whole thing kind of describes it. And then the last uh, sentence is the point that Jesus is making. Now, in the NIV, they translate it as money. In Greek, it's actually, they use the word mammon, which we've heard. And actually, mammon is the Greek word. It's the, the transliteration of the, the Aramaic word mammon. Uh, so it's sort of like they took, so it's like you're getting three different layers here. But it's actually an Aramaic word. And it just literally means money or stuff, possessions. Now, as I've read some, you know, some have, have uh, made hypotheses or theories that mammon was actually a god. But some people worshipped a god, mammon. And I'm not sure. Uh, I, I didn't see that in any of the commentaries I was reading. Um, and I think it maybe can over-spiritualize it a bit. I think that Jesus is just saying here, literally, that we can't love our stuff and be devoted to our stuff or our wealth or our fortune and be devoted to God at the same time. Now, I want to be clear here because we can love God. We can have amazing brains and come up with amazing ideas like new businesses or be really faithful at what we do and accumulate wealth. I think about somebody who is an entrepreneur who loves what they do who loves Jesus, loves what they do, and the money just keeps coming in. Now, I think a faithful person keeps finding ways to share that. But my point is that just because you are wealthy doesn't necessarily mean that there's something wrong with you. It's not sinful to be wealthy. But we can't serve both our stuff and God. And what I'm talking about there are the people who who want to be followers of Jesus, who want to be Christians, who want the benefits of Christianity, but really their heart is set on making more and more money, having more and more stuff. That is what Jesus is addressing here. If you feel like, you know, Jason, I think I'm struggling with that, uh, come and talk with me. Because this is serious stuff. So it's not so much that you have stuff and that you're generous that you share with it, or share it, it's that you find that you constantly crave more. You want to be a Christian, but really your heart is in having more. That's what Jesus is addressing. I know that none of us have a shrine to materialism in our, in our houses, 
But we struggle with a love for stuff. Materialism is the de facto idol of our age. Everybody is talking and focused on stuff. More money, more stuff, bigger houses, more cars, more stuff. It's a good indication that we are out of balance when we keep finding ourselves that we don't have time to devote to God because we're so wrapped up in getting more stuff or maintaining our stuff. That's a good sign that we have the wrong focus or that we are serving mammon more than we are serving God. These three things, these three things that we've been talking about today as we've turned this jewel, they kind of have three main points and they all point to the same, to the same single point. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the guide to the body. And you cannot serve both God and money or God and materialism. These three things. The bottom two are facts. Jesus just stating facts. But the first one, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the one I wanted to focus on just as we close this morning. Is that if this is challenging for us today, if this passage or if what Jesus is teaching here is challenging for us, there are things that we can do to be less materialist and more faithful. It begins by practicing. Practicing storing up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth. And if you find that you are good at what you do, that you, like, for some reason, you don't feel like you need to spend more money than you have and you keep just accumulating more, it's awesome. There are great places to share it. Share it with ministries, uh, things happening in this church, things happening in ministries all over the world. There are amazing ways to share it. But the point is we can practice. Even if we find that, you know, Jason, I don't know who you're talking about, but my income is not meeting my outgo or my, uh, what I spend, there are still things that we can do to practice, to store up treasures. And it may, you know, it's not necessarily money. It can be serving time. I think about some of the amazing things that some of you do, or many of you do, uh, to give time to help. Whether it's serving up Beyond the Bell or coming to track and, uh, track and field days at Redfish, there's all sorts of things that we can do um, ways that we can serve, we can bless others, to cultivate this kingdom, these kingdom treasures. And I was thinking about it this week, about how generous this church is. And I know this is, this is this morning, Jesus, the things that he's t- teaching about are wealth and money and how we use them. But I also know this about this church, is that you are some of the most faithful Christians I know, some of the most generous Christians I know. But here's the thing. Our community needs us. So being storing up treasures in heaven, it is good for us. It's good for our relationship with God. It grows us, makes, us, uh, makes life so much better. But also, it's good for our community. And our community, the world around us, is wrapped up in all about uh, what it can get for itself and materialism. And our friends and our neighbors, they need us to be faithful to Jesus, to keep practicing generosity with our time, with our talents, with our treasure. 
so that we have a chance at shaping this community. That people see the way we live and not only do they say thank you for your generosity, they'll say, tell me some more about this God that you follow. These are challenging words from Jesus this morning. I realize that. But just like I was saying to the guys this morning, this church needs us. This church needs us to keep growing and following Jesus. Our community around us needs us to be generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. This will grow us. This will grow us more like Jesus, more faithful to him. This is the good news. Amen.